Dustin, and with us as always, we have it's Apple. And today is the introduction of our brand new comic podcast co-host, and his name is Joshua. So, hey, how you all doing? So, Josh, tell us a little bit about yourself so that the fans can get an idea of who you are. Now, who's behind this little enterprise? I am 23 years old, and I live in deep Florida. I've been reading the Batman comics for. A little more than half my life now since I was 11, collecting a bunch of them, you know, all the stuff that I can pick up, and I really got into it during the Dixon era. I call it the Dixon era because that was when Chuck Dixon was writing Detective, Nightwing, Robin, Birds of Prey, and most of the crossovers. I still like to make a trip every Wednesday to pick them up. I also do a Beatles podcast in my spare time called For Tony Beetle Bonanza, and I work in childcare. That's all I wanted to know. Okay, so that's a little bit about Josh. So, let's go right into it. We've got about nine comics to cover, and I know a lot of people are looking forward to our new segment, Bad Books for Beginners. So, let's get right into comic news. The first thing we have to report in comic news is that December 13th, which was a Saturday, it was announced that Batman Black and White motion comics are now available on iTunes. You can view this. There's a total of five different episodes. Each episode contains two different comics, and some of them are by comic creators that you probably wouldn't know have even done a Batman comic. For instance, one of them was done by Paul Levitz, the president of DC. Yeah, I saw it advertised on iTunes, and once I get that iTunes gift card this Friday, I think I'm going to check those out. I think it's cool that they were able to get some of the talent that they were able to get on there, and that even Paul Levitz is going to be a part of it. And I think that it might be the start of a new wave, because again, you know, we're in a more digital medium, and comics are not just going to be print stuff anymore, and a lot of people get their entertainment through iTunes, and I hope that this is the start of some more stuff. Yeah, Yeah. these episodes are available for about 99 cents each, or you could buy the entire first volume of this series for $5. I gotta get me one of those. Alright, so the next story we have is this past Monday on December 15th, the new solicitations for March 2009 came out, and boy, everything that we thought about having all the Batman Allies series canceled and Batman and Detective Comics put on hiatus, we have a whole lot of comics to kind of hold us over until they come back. The stuff that they announced was the first week we have a one-shot called Gotham Gazette, Batman Dead. I'm not going to read the solicitations for each one. Just go on the website, thebatmanuniverse.net. Go over the upcoming releases under comics, and you can read the solicitations yourself. But there's a one-shot, Gotham Gazette, Batman Dead, and that is tied into Battle for the Cowl. We have Batman Confidential number 27 which will be the second part of the King Tut story. Batman Battle for the Cowl, number one of three. And that's going to be, uh, obviously, tied into Battle for the Cowl. There's a trade paperback, Catwoman, The Long Road Home, Simon Dark, number 18. Then we have some really cool news. Azrael's returning to the Batman universe. 
in his own miniseries, Azrael, Death's Dark Knight, number one of three. And Chris, we know you're listening. We know you're specifically listening because Azrael's coming back into the Batman universe. Yeah, and he's not wearing the blue suit. He's got a new suit. No blue suit, no red suit. It's like a gray hood, and it looks pretty cool. It might be my favorite Azrael costume yet. We'll have to see. Yeah, I'm looking at the cover right now. It looks awesome. All right, then we have the Batman Chronicles Volume 7, which is the Chronicle series that is including the original beginning of the Batman comics, Detective Comics World's Finest. Batman Haunted Gotham is a trade paperback to include a bunch of different comics, Batman Dracula Red Rain, Bloodstorm, and Crimson Mist. Those are all going to be included in that trade paperback. Then Oracle is going to be having her own mini-series. It's going to get tied into Battle for the Cowl. Oracle number one of three. And then despite some rumors that were floating around about Superman Batman being canceled, it turns out that wasn't true because March we're getting in Superman Batman number 57. So that'll be interesting. Then we have the last week of March, we have Batman Battle for the Cowl Commissioner Gordon, another one-shot. Batman Gotham After Midnight, number 11 of 12. Batman the Brave and the Bold, number 3. And then a trade paperback, Superman Batman Enemies Among Us, which will include Superman Batman, number 28 through 33. So that's your solicitations for March. Like I said, if you want to read more about each one, there's a ton of information in the solicitations. You can check those out on the website. other news to report is that also on the 15th Tony Daniel posted some stuff on his blog about the covers for Battle for the Cowl miniseries and something that I don't think a whole lot of people were thinking was going to happen is that he is actually making the covers so that they can be all put together as one giant I guess collage of different people related to Batman so he said that he's going to include some villains, some allies, some people we haven't even seen for a while. Black Canary is going to be included in that, which Black Canary, as we all know, besides Birds of Prey, has had absolutely no links to Batman whatsoever in the last couple months. So it'll be interesting to see. I know Batwoman's on the first cover. The Robin is a very interesting Robin because the Robin does not look like Tim Drake. It honestly looks like a new Robin possibly Damien, because he's wearing some sort of hood. And like I said, yeah. you can check out pictures on the website. Yeah, the, Damien's worn the hooded Robin outfit before, so I'm pretty sure it's him. But yeah, Tim's absence on the first cover is surprising. So I guess he's going to be on one of the other ones. I wasn't at first excited until we had talked about the last time where Tony was going to be writing it, so that in- that got me intrigued into it. So now I'm I'm really into it. I can't wait for it to read it. I think that this is also the first time too where, aside from Fifty Two, we've seen Batwoman interact with the rest of the Batman family. Yeah, that's very true. I know, she interacted with Nightwing. I didn't read that Revelations miniseries, that spinoff thing, but, I mean, has she met Batman or Oracle or anyone else yet? 
I don't. They, they might have briefly met, but I don't think it's ever been. Not, there's never been a storyline that's really been in depth about them at all. And I know that they were mentioning that she was going to play a decent part in this, as well as possibly have her own series come June. That's obviously a rumor. Take it with a grain of salt, as Apple always says. But. Well, they've been talking about giving her her own series since she debuted, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. It's all part of the plan. Alright, so on to book news. There is absolutely no trade paperbacks or books coming out in the next two weeks. So just look forward to January for everyone who wants to collect the trade paperbacks. Let me worry about that. So that's going to take us straight into our reviews. Like I said, we've got a ton of comics to cover. Nine comics total. So we're going to start off first with Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves, number three of six. Okay, so where we left off was we finally get to see where it was two comics in. In the third comic, we finally get to see Superman. And I really enjoyed issue two. Issue three was a real big letdown. The, the story didn't come off as well as we get superman balloting the monster and of course some citizen gets in the way and superman comes in and he does his little boy scout thing and saves them while batman and uh, Diameter are going off you know trying to find uh, dr combs superman is left to battle the monster now superman's one of his weaknesses is magic besides kryptonite as fans know now of course, Superman can get hurt by these monsters since they are kind of in a magical sense. This story, I, I felt that the, the writer pretty much really, really, really lost me. And I really started second-guessing paying two ninety nine for this story because I wanted to have fun. After issue two, I was like, okay... It's just going to be a fun story. I'm, I'm just going to go for it. It's got it's, it's a cool concept. Superman and Batman versus vampires and werewolves. That's a cool concept. The other side that kind of let me down was the artist. The artist kind of seemed to take a notch down. In book two, it looked like he was trying to go and, and, and bring in big splash pages, bring in the action. In this book, where the action could have been seized, he failed in that. And I, I really felt bad for issue three. And if, if you can imagine going through a train wreck where you're hoping that the train doesn't <laughs> really get hurt bad, I feel that this series is heading for a train wreck. And I, I really feel bad because I was really pushing for the writer. I'm, I'm, I'm really pushing for the artist. But issue three, it almost gives you a sense when you read a miniseries where it almost loses you. And... That's what happened in this book. And at the end, I mean, you also get an appearance by uh, Jason Blood. So, and everyone knows who that is. <laughs> Who's a demon. So, he came in at the end. So, you know, hopefully let's look forward to issue four. But, yeah, that's that's pretty much issue three in a wrap-up. Yeah. Okay, so that's going to move us right into Simon Dark number 14. Basically, the way Simon Dark's... Number 14 starts off as, or the name of the story is Mousetrap. And it starts off with a gentleman sitting in his car and Simon Dark kind of talking to himself, saying this, his name is Ray Wheeler. He's a photography teacher at Gotham Community College. Then you find out that this car is actually sitting in front of a high school. It's actually the same high school that Rachel goes to. Uh, 
Um, Simon Dark approaches the car, and the gentleman gets out and says, you got a problem, realizes it's a guy with out of face, gets scared, and drives off. Then Simon meets up with Rachel, who's just leaving a store, and he starts telling her, what would you do if you knew something bad could happen? Would you try to stop it, or would you just let it happen? If you had the ability to stop something or to, ma- to prevent something from happening that could be horrible, would you? And she keeps saying, well, I'm not real sure what you're talking about. You know, I don't, I don't know. And then he's like, okay, well, I'll show you. He touches her, uses his little magic to give her some views, I guess, images of what the situation is. And it's this photography teacher who's sitting in front of the school taking pictures of women and then taking advantage of them. Now, one thing I forgot to mention in the very beginning is that Simon also says, but he likes them younger. Ray likes his art students at 18 and 19, but has learned how to seduce them. His hunger for younger rose like a fever. So obviously this guy is a pervert, and he's got some issues with trying to get younger girls to do things. So then the story continues on. Uh, Rachel's dad shows up, Simon disappears, and... Rachel's dad says to her, you know, you think Simon likes you or anything like that? And she's like, I don't really want to talk about this. So then we go into the story of the two detectives coming across a body, and they're like, um, so, uh, how did this happen? Next thing you know, they show a body that has been ripped literally to shreds. The arms, the legs, and the head have been removed from the main body. And they're just like, he wasn't cut apart, he was pulled apart. And they go into a little discussion about, well, how could have this happened? They have no idea. Then the story proceeds on to Simon trying to figure out a way to control him keeping a face so that he doesn't have to walk around with the mask on and he's not able to. Then what ends up happening is we go back to this Ray Wheeler and he starts talking about, he says the same stuff. His name is Ray Wheeler. Ray is a photography teacher at Gotham Community College. And today, Ray Wheeler will cross the line. So what ends up happening is Ray Wheeler's walking down this road, and then all of a sudden, uh, Simon Dark basically attacks him and pops his head off. Well, you're assuming it's Simon Dark. They don't actually show that it's Simon. You're just under the assumption that it is. We go back to Rachel. She's dressed up in her little uniform to go to school because she's attending that school. And as she's walking to school, she meets two girls. They're walking past Gotham High. And they're like, what's going on? What's going on? They go up to the blue card that we saw in the beginning of the story. And inside is a guy with no head. Honestly, this was one of probably the better issues. I I mentioned two podcasts ago when we talked about Seven Dark Thirteen that I wasn't sure exactly which way this could go. But this was a good one. So if you haven't picked it up, pick it up. (laughs) Oh, I got a live one here. It's going to bring us right into Detective 850. Detective 850, the big milestone and the conclusion of the R.I.P. tie-in. When we last left things, Selena is on life support in the hospital. Um, Tommy Elliot Hush has stolen her heart. Little freaky Bruce has gone to get it. Turns out Hush has stolen his face. Did some plastic surgery on himself so he looks just like Bruce. And he's planning to use that to attack his closest friends and family and do them in. 
So the story begins, Alfred's in Wayne Manor, and we get Tommy Elliot as Bruce breaking in, trying to trick Alfred, and Alfred plays along at first, then kind of, you know, uses his old British secret agent kung fu on him, and Tommy Elliot's like, oh, so what gave it away? Was it my scars, my voice? He's like, nah, Bruce actually just called me from the car. Tommy Elliot, making the classic villain mistake, left Bruce while he was fighting all his minions, assuming that everything would go to plan. Obviously, he gets away, catches up back at Wayne Manor with him. During the flashback, though, to the scene where he's fighting the hospital goons, Tommy Elliot does a little monologue explaining how Mr. Freeze helped with the cryogenic material and technology that was able to freeze Selena's heart so it would be intact if uh, that he could use it as bait for him. Now, back at Wayne Manor, Alfred's about to meet his end. Tommy Elliot kind of turned things around on him and has his gun back. Like I said, Bruce comes back in, they're fighting. Tommy Elliot figures out where the Batcave is during the course of the fight and is awestruck at the size of it and all the technology and all the stuff in it. He does some more monologuing, trying to taunt Bruce, and we get a flashback to a little more of his backstory. Throughout this arc, they've been talking about his relationship with his mother and his girlfriend that he had back then and how they didn't get along. Turns out his mother was going to cut him off from his inheritance because of his relationship with the mobster's daughter, and she had just given the paperwork to the lawyer, and he was going to file it. Tommy's girlfriend goes after the lawyer while Tommy and his mother are arguing. She does the lawyer in and calls her dad's mob connections to make it look like an accident. Tommy finally smothers his mother with a pillow, and his last words to her are, appropriately enough, hush. They talk about together the different alibis and how he's going to tell everyone that the mom had gone out of the bed, tripped over, broken her neck, and died, and how now they can run away together with the inheritance. He implies that he secretly did his girlfriend in as well. Goes back, flashback and monologue ends. He and Bruce are fighting some more. Alfred, despite his injuries, limps to the computer, turns something on. Turns out it's that big giant Rex that's been in the Batcave all this time. It starts to attack Tommy Elliot. He shoots it and, you know, breaks it down. Nightwing and Robin go in, saying, poor Rexy, at least he didn't die in vain. Is this the end of the giant robot T-Rex? I sure hope not. It's been a staple for a while. They fight Tommy Elliot, and he tries to make his getaway on one of the little bat gyrocopters, realizing that the gig is up. Unfortunately, he gets his bandages caught on the propeller. Helicopter crashes, and like any comic book death, we do not see a body. Now, Bruce has Selena's heart, takes it back to the hospital where Dr. Midnight and Zatanna help restore her. Bruce goes to visit her in the hospital, tells her that despite everything that they've been through, he always loves her. She wakes from her coma, and they share a nice little kiss. We get a little epilogue where Selena is sending a video message to Tommy Elliot, wherever he may be, that she decided that since he took her heart, she's going to take his money. She used um, some connections with Oracle was able to get the money, transfer it all around, gave some of it to charity, told some of the villains who Tommy Elliot had crossed over the past story arcs where his holdings were. So you see people like Harley and Poison Ivy robbed him. We cut to Tommy Elliot at the end. He's pretty much living the life of a bum on the cold streets, limping away. And that's the end of that so far. It's one, one thing we do have to point out is this. I don't think it is the end only because in January, Faces of Evil storyline for Batman is going to be all about Catwoman and Hush. So 
it'll be interesting to see how exactly this story will continue. Because Paul Dini has stated numerous times that the way this story is going to end is not in Detective Comics during the R.I.P., but in Faces of Evil. It definitely set up a new rivalry between them because he took her heart and she took his money. Yeah. So... Yeah, and you know what? Another thing about 850 that was awesome was that when uh, Tommy Ellett's in the Batcave, when you said he was in awe, it had a whole bunch of pictures of different years of the Batmobile. And I'm a Batmobile freak, so I had to point that out. To the Batmobile. Let's go. All right, so that's going to take us into Batman Cacophony number one of three. This is a book that Batman's fans must own. It's Kevin Smith's return to DC, and he's doing Batman. The last time he did was DC's Green Arrow. And in that series, he created a supervillain called Onomatopoeia. In this issue, Onomatopoeia makes a return. Now, Kevin Smith is known for making long, lengthy dialogue. And he did an awesome one of Deadshot and Joker. And Onomatopoeia comes in and he actually interrupts that <laughs> the process of what a dead shot was actually sent there to go ahead and kill Joker because the guy or the family that hired dead shot was supposed to come in and uh, get rid of the Joker since their kid already had passed away from uh, a drug that Maxi Zeus was creating. It's called Chuckles. And this drug was actually concocted from one of Joker's uh, many gone, you know, gone for, for gases or smoke, as, such as that. And so Maxi Zeus built from that. Joker has to go and he has to meet up with Maxi Zeus because he's really taken away part of Joker's signature. And <laughs> Joker doesn't want anybody messing with his signature stuff. And so that goes on. Batman then interacts with Mr. Zaz. And Batman goes ahead and Mr. Zaz, of course, Batman's late again. Well, not again, but he's he's late from saving some victims of Mr. Zaz. He was able to get there, and of course, a really cool part within that scene was Batman makes a sign an apology to the victims. And I thought that was really cool, and Kevin Smith as a writer, he's known for making those, putting those little things in. Kevin Smith is a true Batman fan. You can kind of get the sense of the way he wrote this story. Batman Cacophony is a real must-buy for Batman fans. If if you love long dialogue, if you want to see what character development is, Kevin Smith is going to give you that. And I really enjoyed this book. I'm going to love collecting the series as it comes along. And, of course, right in, even at the end, the Joker even surprises you with what he does into a boy's school. So that was pretty awesome. So I'm looking very forward to the next issue. <laughs> I'm just that kind of guy. Alright, so that's going to bring us right into Batman Confidential, number 23. In the last issue, we basically had a situation where Detective's wife was murdered by the Joker. Now, it was kind of an odd way of being murdered, only because the Joker was actually in police custody when she was murdered. And the reason being is, when he requested his phone call, they gave him his phone call, he actually called the wife of the detective, and told her a horrible thing happened to her. There was no point for her to live, and that this, that, and the other. From there, we realize that at the end of the comic, she's dead. Then what ends up happening is the, the comic starts off in this one 
as Batman dressing as Batman, the detective dressing them to go to the funeral. They go to the funeral, and everyone's extremely upset about the situation, especially the detective's partner, specifically because he said we should have never let him have that phone call, and Gordon says, but it was his right. And the detective's partner says, well, hooray for us upholding the law. So it kind of shows you. Then Batman shows up, talks, has a little exchange with Gordon, talking about, hey, Gordon says, well, a funeral would probably be the only thing that you would probably come out in the daylight for. And Gordon and him talk about, you know, this is the reason why you are here, because things like this aren't supposed to happen the way they do. Then we cut to the detective watching a bunch of different stories on the TV and him going to get a drink because he's resulting to alcohol to kind of deal with the fact that his wife was murdered by the Joker. Skip ahead, there was a little exchange with Alfred and Batman, but it's not really relevant to the story. But then we get to the really interesting part. Now, if you're a Joker fan and you're not reading the storyline... You're making a big mistake because this story is really good. It gives you a really good insight of the Joker. The Joker is being transported in a police van to the trial so he can, you know, be accountable for all the stuff that he got arrested for. As he approaches the vehicle, he starts making some smart comments to a kind of stocky police officer and doesn't realize that the Joker has actually taken his pen. They're driving through the town. And all of a sudden, at some point, this the one officer is saying to a rookie, saying, don't listen to him, don't listen to him, and just make sure you don't let him get a rise out of you, because that's all he wants. He goes, I'm going to ignore this by doing crossword puzzles. Then he realizes his pen's gone. At that moment, Joker stabs the officer in the back of the head. And his comment is, I'm no doctor, but I'm fairly certain that's called your jugular. Next thing you know, the rookie's tied up, sitting in the passenger seat, and Joker has taken over the vehicle. At this point, Batman comes onto the van, and they do a little... Batman holds onto the top of the vehicle, Joker's trying to lose him, he's not losing him, he's trying to hit people, kill people, just basically trying to just do do what the Joker does, destroy stuff for no reason. Batman has a little uh, hero moment when he saves a boy from being hit, when he was on his bike, at one point, finally the Joker crashes, and Batman says, you're not escaping, you're going to go to jail just like you would, and Joker says, I'm having the time of our lives, why would I want to escape, because he's actually crashed right in front of the courthouse. Now, here's where it gets really good. Now, as we all know, Batman Confidential is not really in line with any other of the Batman comics, so they do their own thing. So at this point, the assistant district attorney that's doing the trial to prosecute the Joker is actually Harvey Dent. Unscarred, obviously. Joker has a public defender, and the judge asks the public defender, how does the defendant plead? And he goes, not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. And the Joker says, what? I'm not crazy. Then the, the bailiffs grab him and says, I'll, to prove it, I'll kill anyone who says otherwise. So then the the defender walks up to him and says, listen, I didn't want this case, but if you don't want to spend the rest of your life in jail, then I suggest you take this. Then the Joker says, shh, you had me a mental disease or defect. (laughs) So then it goes on to 
dent saying we're not asking for bail or we're making we don't want bail we want to make this go as quick as possible and then at some point the judge is like okay we'll make this as quick as possible bail's denied we'll set a trial date this afternoon as soon as lunch is over so they leave they come back after lunch what's interesting is right before they leave a couple of detectives are sitting there and they're saying they're like is that bruce wayne and there's a guy sitting in a black suit and black sunglasses in the back of the courthouse and nobody's knowing exactly why bruce wayne's here because it's not even noon yet the detective <laughs> is uh he he the detective whose wife was murdered he walks out of the courthouse and takes off and gordon's kind of worried about it but then we get back to the actual uh good part with the joker uh Dent requests an expedited trial calendar, and the judge replies, a rocket docket it is, Mr. Dent. Next thing you know, you see Joker grabbing a peanut. He figures out some way to flick this peanut off a wall into the glass of water that the judge is drinking. The defender says, that's all, that works for me too, judge, and Joker says, me too. Next thing you know, the judge takes a glass, a sip from the glass of water, and suddenly starts to convulse and starts coughing up blood and next thing you know he's dead and joker's replies nuts to you judge and then all of a sudden you see the judge wearing a bracelet that says severe peanut allergy (laughs) so he just killed the judge by using a peanut which if it was funny because on the cover it said stop me if you heard this one a psycho killer faces a judge for sentencing one was assaulted peanut (laughs) <laughs> so that's Batman Confidential 23 though like I said if you're a Joker fan this is a great storyline to pick up it started last one with 22 and I think it's going to end with 24 or 25 it's going to end either way one of those but this is one of those ones where it's classic Joker stuff so it's it's a must sounds like it has a lot of cool one liners yeah Oh, that's a joke, right? Batman finally told a joke. Which I believe brings us to Robin 180, and the book, um, under its current regime, I would say better than it's been since Chuck Dixon left it the first time. Picking up in our storyline, we're currently in the middle of kind of a gang war, where it's almost a who's who of the 90s cast. We have Spoiler, and we have a new Red Robin, who we'll get into who that is later. This guy named Jager... And they're all duking it out right now, and somebody is controlling things from behind the scene, and Robin's trying to figure it out. Uh, and spoiler, he knows more than she's letting on. He's fighting Red Robin, making little notes of stuff that's going on, trying to figure out who he is based on the clues in his fighting style. And his weapons, which oddly enough, is a German miser. Meanwhile, um, something's going on with Spoiler and Scarab. Red Robin decides to play on Robin's weakness for people by knocking down a billboard knowing that Robin will save the people and he'll be able to get away. Scarab does something similar too, so Robin has to wind up saving Spoiler as well while fending off the press. Eventually to get away from all this madness, he uses one of the Scarecrow's fear pellets. He's not sure uh, if this breaks an ethical area or not. The only person who winds up staying to get held in police captivity is Jager. Scarab and Red Robin get away. Back in the Batcave, Alfred is tending Stephanie's wounds. She has a gunshot in the arm. 
and her alibi isn't matching up with some of the physical evidence that's being given. Robin is analyzing the clues. He thinks he's figured out who Red Robin is, and he calls on Jason Bard, another classic supporting cast member that they're bringing back, to check on some things, and he thinks he knows who the mastermind behind all this is, too. We cut to a meeting of Red Robin and Scarab. Robin is listening in on it, and they're talking about the benefactor. Scarab gets away. Robin goes in to fight Red Robin, where he unmasks him and revealing that it is the general. He was kind of a young, prepubescent war buff who Robin used to fight in the early issues of the series. Now he's grown up a little bit. His hair color looks a little different, too. He ties him up, you know, for the cops, and he's taunting Robin, saying, well, why don't you ask your girlfriend? She knows more about what's going on than she's letting on. Robin goes to this warehouse where he's tracked uh, who he thinks is the mastermind behind this. He goes in. He sees a bunch of Anarchy's masks and gear and a bunch of explosives, realizing that Anarchy, another classic Batman character from the 90s and 80s, being brought back in this series, realizing that all this chaos and everything fits his profile. But of course, Robin, in his haste, did not secure everything and realizes, door shutting behind him, explosive, it goes off. And that's the cliffhanger. One of the subplots in here, too, is um, apparently Batman, before he went on his disappearance in the R.I.P. storyline, told Stephanie that she had to train Tim to make him better. So in doing so, Stephanie had hired Scarab, who was a villain from an older arc back when Stephanie became Robin. Actually, she was hired to kill a bunch of the Robins. Stephanie had hired Scarab again to attack Robin, but using non-lethal forces. Her contract was brought out last issue, though, and uh, she's now using lethal forces again. So lots of stuff going on, lots of classic characters back here. We got Jason Bard, we got Anarchy, we got the General, and, you know, spoilers back after being dead from her hiatus. So lots of good stuff going on here. And next issue, we'll find out how Robin got out of the explosion, because I don't think that they killed him off. <laughs> Another Robin dying in an explosion. That's so 1980s, so. <laughs> yeah, and he still can't get rid of him. He always comes back. Yeah, then actually there's a comment um, about Jason Todd here, because Red Robin was Jason Todd's alias back in the Countdown series, and he says, yeah, he's using Red Robin, which was Jason Todd, a.k.a. the Jan Brady of the Batman family's old codename. (laughs) So if Jason Todd is Jan Brady, then I guess, does that make um, Nightwing Greg Brady? Does that make Alfred Alice the Maid? (laughs) things to ponder let's make it a topic on the message board listeners (laughs) you've got other problems well with that we're going to go ahead and enter Batman and the Outsiders issue 13 and Josh I'll go ahead and continue on the Chuck Dixon part that you had mentioned a lot of people feel that this book I will admit it has been less than stellar but it has been fun in, in certain senses Now, a lot of people feel that without Chuck Dixon, since he's not there any longer, that the book has kind of lost its direction. And I can kind of see that. They're trying to see what what is really going to be here. Because with characters that are showing up like Mr. Freeze, Killer Croc, Penguin in here, you also have Dr. Langstrom. You're kind of trying to figure out, okay, what is the storyline? You know that there's supposed to be a new team building. There's supposed to be a new team for Outsiders. And Batgirl is at the helm trying to form this team. And you do kind of get that, like, why are they in there in the beginning? Now, my personal feelings, apart from my review, I kind of like that. I like when the Batman 
villains interact with each other. I like them showing up because that's that's the universe that of, of Batman. As a reader, as totally objective, the book does lack some sort of direction. And I think when Chuck Dixon was there, he did a better job of making sure the train stayed on course. And you you could kind of get that. Now I I am enjoying the Batman and the Outsiders. I do like the the range that is bringing now Terry the writer on this, the one that got them underground, and he had all those villains also in that series. I think that's what he's trying to bring to that to the Outsiders. And I think if you're a reader, you kind of have to look back at that series to understand what Terry's trying to do to this series. Now, if you're you're just new to the book and you're just getting into it, it's going to kind of throw you for a loop. It's still going to be cool because you get to see these characters. But at the same time, you really don't even get to the whole kind of point, I'll say, of the story towards the end where Batgirl's in the Batcave looking for to form this team. Another cool part in this book is Vigilante. I love how they're not making him soft. And me and Josh had discussed this earlier where Sporter had returned and she had her power of disappearing and reappearing. And that's really never been explained of how she does that. But in the end of this issue where Batgirl's looking to the, the Batcomputer, Alfred comes down and he sees the characters that a Batgirl's putting together to go ahead and form this new team. And he's saying, he, well, he's telling her that I can see why you're forming this team and the kind of things that you're looking for. Because they might be not the straightest of characters, not the straightest of citizens, but they might have been looking for a second chance like her. And, of course, Nightwing, Dick Grayson, comes in, looks at the people that she has on the back computer, and Nightwing says, oh, yeah, me and her are going to have a talk. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. So, I mean, it, 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 to me, I, I, I look back at the Gotham Underground series. I'm looking at what Terry's writing, and I'm tying into that. And I, as me, as as just a pure fanboy, I'm loving that. But as, as I would review this, say that you're going to probably be looking at what's the point of the story. And so I think there's more history that you have to look back on in order to come to this point. And so I like Batman and the Outsiders, and I'll give our full review at the end. I want information, and I'll get it any way I please. All right, so that's going to take us right into Nightwing 150. Now, this was a special issue where it was a little thicker than normal. It had a variant cover. And this is going to wrap up the Nightwing Two-Face story, <laughs> so we think. So, basically, the story starts out with Nightwing getting ready to go out and realizing, i got to go on another patrol, even though I haven't slept in days, because I really need to find something that could give me a lead for where Two-Face is and what Two-Face is doing. Well, Barbara Gordon ends up showing up, as we all know Oracle. She shows up to do an update on Nightwing's computer, and she does a little motherly advice and says, you know, maybe you're working a little too hard. And there was one interesting moment that I thought would be really important. And Nightwing says, he's here somewhere. And when I find him, there's going to be hell to pay for all the lives he's taken. And she replies, did you just hear yourself? And he says, what? Your voice, dick. It never sounded like that before. And he says, like what? And then she replies, like Bruce. That hard, cold, crushed, gravel thing he does with his voice, the cowl goes on. And that's that, that kind of made me think, hmm, 
possibility of Nightwing maybe getting to the point where Bruce is. So then we go to a scene where Harvey and Two-Face are at the cemetery at the gravestone of Carol, and they're having basically an argument with each other that leads to Harvey saying he's going to punish everybody for doing this, and shoots the heck and burns all the gravestones. Nightwing shows up, not in time, and he goes back to his headquarters where he gets a phone call from Deborah, who says, hey, we've got dinner plans, and he's like, oh, um, yeah, uh, I'll be right there. So he shows up, they get done with dinner, they're walking down the streets of New York, and all of a sudden there's a bunch of scenes where you see some robbers breaking into a bank and grabbing a ton of pennies. They take the pennies and they throw them over the side of the building, causing the pennies to fall down at a great force to the streets below, cracking cars, hitting people, and everything. Nightwing tells Deborah, you need to go home, and there was a note that was thrown out with all the pennies saying, all it would have taken is the saving of one life. Now that loss will cost the lives of many, and you can thank Nightwing for the terror on its way. And she, she questions, well, isn't Nightwing a good person? He's like, yeah. Nightwing goes to the bank, releases the people from the safe that Two-Face locked in. And basically, there's a bunch of scenes where it shows Harvey coming across a bunch of acid. Getting a hold of acid. Getting a hold of some other means of dispensing this acid on the safe. Nightwing goes all over the place, talking to everybody, using every way means possible to try to figure out where Two-Face is and what he's doing. Then, as he's sitting in his headquarters, he suddenly realizes there's no information that he can find to tell him where there's at. He looks out his window, and suddenly he sees numerous blimps floating towards the city along the, the river. Now, what's interesting is, obviously, Nightwing goes up, takes out the first blimp, realizes that the blimp is full of acid. Then what ends up happening is Two-Face gets over the city, the cops come and kind of cordon off them, and Two-Face is like, okay, well, we can play this game. Spray some acid down on the city. People are getting acid on them. Cops back off. Then Nightwing and Two-Face have a little showdown where Nightwing says, it's not my fault that she died, I can't help it that you can't control yourself, they have a fight, goes on for a couple pages, he subdues him, and then ends up taking all of the blimps, takes the one blimp, lands it in the water, and all the other blimps land in the water as well. And that's basically the end of the story. They, the story ends with the blimps landing right, next, right in the water next to the Statue of Liberty. But as we know, this isn't the end of Nightwing and Two-Face. You know, Des, one thing that was within this book is that my name appears, and Nightwing's holding it. <laughs> right where their pennies were falling from the bag, it says Apple. <laughs> just just a little thing I saw in the, in the book. And this is it's what fun. Apple does. It's funny, we were talking about before how they're building up, you know, the Hush-Catwoman rivalry, but over in the Nightwing book, they're building back up the Dick Grayson-Harvey Dent rivalry, which, you know, was touched upon in the past because of the beating that Two-Face gave him as a younger kid, and 
looks like they're bringing some of that back again, which I think is awesome. Careful, Robin. I'm sure there's more to this than meets the eye. Okay, Batgirl number five. Before I start on that, just want to make one little correction. When I was reviewing Robin 180, I said that Robin leaves the general, a.k.a. Red Robin, tied up. He actually has to get to Anarchy's warehouse in time, so he didn't have time to leave him tied up for the police, and he even makes the comment, don't have time to take you to the cops, that would slow me down, so wanted to make that correction there. Now, Batgirl, the miniseries, number five of six. So far, what we have done is, you know, Batgirl's kind of on her little redemption quest, but before she feels she can redeem herself, she wants to have revenge on her father and Deathstroke for having controlled her mind and brainwashed her for that lost year. During the course of this, she found out that her dad was creating a bunch of, you know, little super soldier sisters, and she met one of them. They teamed up with Rose Wilson for a little while, too. Now she's found out that her dad, David Kane, has a plot to kill Oracle. So when this issue begins, she's about to take one of the bat planes, and Nightwing grabs her. Uh, 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 where do you think you're going? Nightwing, as established earlier in the miniseries, doesn't trust her and thinks that she's back to her old ways, which, well, I guess if she's planning on killing David Kane and Slade Wilson, maybe she technically is. Batgirl's like, forget this, and takes off, even though Nightwing's hanging on with one of his little sticks to the plane, flying through the air, and she eventually knocks Nightwing off, and he has to kind of parachute down, so, um, she lands somewhere around the desert, uh, well, before she lands, though, um, you know, Tim and Bruce are after her in one of the bigger bat planes, but because she's in the smaller plane, she's able to outmaneuver him and subdue him enough so that they have to land, in which they go after her in these little bat buggy tractors, but they lose track of her. She's in Platinum Flats, California, and she's staking out the area where Oracle is, trying to figure out how David Kane is going to kill her. Before she figures it out, she runs into her sister, and they talk, saying, look, this is my quest, you know, I'm going to have to do it, my, I'm going to have to do it this way. And then she's like, no, I'm, I'm in this as much as you are. And obviously they fight, and uh, Cass, you know, decides to be a little bit of a bad A, and gets her in the leg with a knife, says, don't worry, you'll be able to walk again. So, having figured out where David Kane is going to be going after Oracle, figures out that he's probably going to snipe her from the roof through one of the windows of the apartment because of the way that it's secured, and David Kane's on the roof in the rain, you know, and he's got Oracle in his crosshairs. And then Cash shows up, and he says, well, look who's come to visit her old man. Why Batgirl doesn't just say, hey, Oracle, um, there's going to be an assassination attempt on your life, or why she doesn't say to, you know, Dick, Bruce, and Tim, hey, they're going to kill Oracle, instead of, you know, us trying to fight each other on this, let's all do this together. Nope. In this miniseries, Cass is doing it her own way. Next issue is the final issue, and the confrontation between her and David Kane, her father, and we will see what winds up happening. If you think I've been bad news before. Alright, so that brings us to the review wrap-up. The review wrap-up, let's just run down the list. Superman and Batman versus vampires and werewolves. I, I really wanted to be a, a real fanboy, and, and I was really trying to get into it after issue two, guys. After issue three, it was such a letdown that I'm, I'm going to have to review this book. And I'm going to have to say the story, I'm only going to give it one battering. The artwork where I felt the artist could have seized and helped out the writer as far as maybe going above and beyond maybe, he didn't seize that. So unfortunately for the artist, I'm going to have to give it a 
1.5 battering. I feel real bad about that, but I, I want to be true to, to fans out there that's going to try to pick up this book that I, I really feel bad that issue three kind of really let us down. Ah, Take all the fun out of life. All right, so Simon Dark, number 14. I'm going to give the story a strong 4.5 out of 5 batterings because I really enjoyed this story. This was a great story right from the beginning. Simon Dark is one of those ones where I think it's a hidden gem. And we've said that before, and then we've taken it back, but now I'm going to say it again. It's, a, it's one of those hidden gems. The artwork, you've got to like Scott Hampton's work. It's a little different than normal work because it's not your typical images. It's more of uh, everything's very grayscale, sketchy kind of stuff instead of, you know, definite lines and, and that kind of. So I'm going to give the artwork a, just an average three out of five batterings. Okay, and Detective Comics, 850, I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5 batterings. The story, great. Paul Dini, you know, loved his work on the animated series, and he's just been kicking butt on Detective ever since he took it over. And, you know, the storyline had a very satisfying conclusion, or is it a, or is it a new beginning? As we know, there's gonna, it's going to take us to other places. They planted a lot of seeds for future storylines was very sad to see the end of the robot dinosaur but with the way that things go we'll probably see him back again too and you know love the ending with bruce and selena how that was touched upon even though you know at this point in continuity he's still with jezebel jets i loved how we got some more of hush's background finding out what really happened to his mother because as far as we knew cancer took her for all this time we finally found out the truth and you know how sinister he really is and i think selena really gives him comeuppance at the end unfortunately it kind of lost one battering for me because of the art. I think that Alfred's head and a lot of other heads, too, look like Easter Island statues. And I just can't get into that. <laughs> okay, and that's going to lead us to review of Batman Cacophony. You're a Batman fan? This is a must-own book. Kevin Smith writing gives you a bunch of dialogue, develops a character. I love the story. I'm going to go ahead and give the story four batterings. Walter Flanagan, who... If you're familiar with Kevin Smith, is his writer. He, it's a tag team kind of thing. He's very consistent. He's not going to dazzle you, and he's not going to disappoint you. He's right in the middle. So I'm going to go ahead and give him a score right in the middle, which is three batterings for his artwork. All right, so that's going to bring us to Batman Confidential 23. Story-wise, great story. Four out of five batterings. Like I said, if you're a Joker fan, this is something that you really need to pick up. As far as artwork, nothing spectacular. It's not bad either. So just an average three out of five batterings. And Robin 180, I'm going to be generous and give this one five batterings. I love all the stuff that they have going on here. I was really worried because when they brought Chuck Dixon back on the book, it was exciting. It was, you know, old school for me when he left. I was worried if they were going to lose their way because he left very suddenly. But Fabian's just been, you know, I don't, not to beat this dead horse again, but kicking butt on the book. And again, so much is going on. All these plots and subplots and intrigue. And they're bringing back these classic characters and using them to good capacity like Jason Vard, Anarchy, the General, and even a throwaway character like Scarab. It's been very, very good all around. Freddie Williams, you know... Not my favorite artist, but really good. And they 
his art is influential enough within the story that it's actually credited uh, storytellers Fabian and Freddie Williams the third, uh, the second, excuse me. So that shows the amount of influence that the artist has on the direction right now, which I think is cool. Okay, and that's going to take us into Batman the Outsiders issue 13. I'm going to continue with the theme of really being real and, <laughs> and say that I love this book, but not everybody's Apple. And <laughs> I love the characters in here. But to be an honest review, I'm going to go ahead and give the story 2.5 batterings. Artwork, uh, I like Dagnito. Uh, he's okay. He's okay. Much like Flanagan, he has much of, of more of a, a simpler tone. And he tends to use double pages a lot. So I can kind of see of trying to cheat the story there. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give him two batterings for his artwork. Okay, then Nightwing 150. I love Peter Tomasi's work on Nightwing and anything else that he does. The only issue that I have with this comic was because it was oversized, because it was a, you know, a special issue, because it was 150, it seemed as if there was a lot of panels that were kind of just there because they had to be because it was an oversized issue. I think the, the fight with Two-Face was maybe just a little overdone for the fact that I think it spanned over seven or eight pages which I think is just a little bit too much. But overall, the story's good. I'm looking forward to what Tomasi's got in the future, but as far as this story, I'm going to give it a 3 out of 5. As far as artwork, as all the other ones I've reviewed, average, 3 out of 5. Okay, and Batgirl, number 5. I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to give this one one battering, and barely even at that. The story only works if you make a lot of leaps in logic. Yeah, Batgirl's on her revenge quest and everything, but she's willing to risk Oracle's life for that. And just, I think that that whole sequence with Nightwing attaching to the plane and her throwing him off, and him, like, you know, when they're thousands of feet in the air, probably, you know, and he could die. I mean, yeah, he parachutes and he's alright, but I mean... The whole thing just looked ridiculous, and he's all nonchalantly on his parachute, talking on the comm link, and then the whole thing of her crashing Bruce and Tim's plane, and then they go out on their little buggies, I thought that that was ridiculous, and the whole thing seemed very compressed. I mean, all that really happened was she went to Platinum Flats, shook off Bruce, Tim, and Dick, and fought Mark a little bit, and, you know, then found out where David Kane was. It would have made more sense to do whatever, but Adam B. can the writer on this. I gotta give him props because he's one of the most hated comic writers on the internet, you know, and I feel kind of bad for him. I don't want to be on the hate train, but until he can produce something better, it's all aboard for me. I like the art, and which is the only reason why this even gets one battering. I'm sorry to say, and Grayson seems to be living up to his first name within this series and other series because they seem to be playing this whole theme in this and Outsiders that him and Batgirl have this rivalry and they keep on fighting. It's going on in this book and now it's going on in Outsiders. Alright, so that's the review wrap-up. So now you know what to go pick up, what not to go pick up. The next thing we've got is, as we promised in the last episode, our new segment called Bat Books for beginners. So we're going to throw it over to Nick and he's going to tell us about Batman Year One.
Hi there, this is Nick, and welcome to the first ever episode of Batman Books for Beginners. Thank you listeners for joining me on this historic day as we set out on our epic journey. For those of you who didn't hear the last podcast, this is a new segment where we are going to be reading and reviewing as many Batman comics as we can, going from start to finish. I want to make an ultimate list of Batman books to go through, so I'll need all of your help to put that together. If I do miss any books that you particularly want reviewed, do let me know via the Batman Universe forums and I'll stick it in. So without further ado, it's time to get down to the first book, Batman Year One. Gentlemen, let's broaden our mind. Batman Year One is written by Frank Miller. Its artwork was done by David Mazzucchelli. Now originally it appeared in issues number 404 to 407 of the original Batman comic, released in 1987. You might be wondering why the beginning of Batman's career would only appear 400 issues into the comic, and the reason was because DC rebooted many of its major characters due to continuity problems because of the sheer weight of storylines and history that each character had and it got a bit complicated as a result. So they updated the characters and retold their origins, Batman being one of them. So briefly, the plot of Year One is that the story recounts the beginning of Bruce Wayne's career as Batman and Jim Gordon's at the Gotham City Police Department. Bruce Wayne returns home from training abroad in martial arts, manhunting and science for the past 12 years. Once back in Gotham City, he bides his time, waiting for the right moment to strike, all the while preparing himself to become the Batman. Gordon, meanwhile, has moved to Gotham from Chicago with his pregnant wife Barbara, and he continues his career in law enforcement. His first time out patrolling reveals to him the disturbing nature of law enforcement in Gotham as a senior officer, and he learns how the whole city really works. Detective Flash assaults an unsuspecting teenager for staying out late. Gordon's disgusted with his partner's behaviour towards all of the offenders and Jim feels that he has to straighten things out in Gotham. Bruce, meanwhile, is making preparations before going out on his first street mission. He enters the red light district zone of Gotham and is disgusted by what he sees. He ends up fighting a pimp and a few others join in as well, including Selina Kyle. The police arrive on the scene, they shoot Bruce, and they throw him into the back seat of their car. On the way to the station, he manages to escape by causing the corrupt officers to wreck their squad car. After pulling the unconscious officers out of the car, Bruce returns home, bleeding from his various wounds. There he sits, looking for inspiration, something he feels will strike fear into the hearts of criminals. A bat smashes through his window and perches on the sculpture of his father. Bruce immediately responds. He feels he's found exactly what he's looking for, stating the words, Yes, Father, I will become a bat. Gordon tries to clean up the GCPD, Gotham City Police Department, but on the orders of the corrupt and evil Commissioner Loeb, he's attacked and threatened by fellow officers. After recovering, he visits the house of one of these officers, where they have gathered to play poker. He waits for Detective Flass, who he knows is responsible for organising the attack. Flass is the last to leave the house. Gordon tails him into the woods, 
where he proceeds to attack the drunken officer. So the story is getting pretty dark at the moment. Bruce goes out for the first time as Batman, finally, and stops a trio of teenagers from stealing a television. A pretty minor crime, I will admit, for the Dark Knight. However, it is his first victory. The legend grows with Batman attacking criminals with increasing boldness. One night, when the corrupt city leaders and gangsters like Carmine Falcone gather for a dinner party, Commissioner Loeb explains why Batman is politically advantageous to themselves. However, they assume that Batman would never bother the rich and famous of Gotham. Meanwhile, Batman is sneaking around the grounds. He puts the guards to sleep, and he sets up stage lights around the window. He blows a hole in the outside wall, and he gives the men and women a dire warning that he is just as determined to deliver them to justice as well. The police try to capture Batman numerous times, but Bruce is too elusive and alert to fall for their traps. In addition, the Maverick District Attorney Harvey Dent becomes Batman's secret ally. Gordon has a brief affair with Detective Sarah Essen. During the affair, he is confronted by the Commissioner, who threatens to inform his wife of the affair if he doesn't comply. Gordon eventually confesses the affair to his wife, and she deals with it and accepts it. His, uh, Detective Essen, however, leaves for New York. The book takes place over a long period of time, so we get told that several months later, Batman overhears a local mafia boss planning revenge against Gordon. Gordon is mysteriously called away by the police to investigate a robbery. It's a setup. On his way out, a mysterious motorist, Bruce, enters his garage, raising Gordon's suspicions, as Gordon hasn't seen him before. He returns to the garage, only to find his wife and baby being pulled into a car by a hitman. Gordon pursues the car, along with the mysterious motorist, who is Bruce. The climax of the book happens on a road bridge where Gordon shoots out a wheel in the car and it crashes into the side of the bridge. The hitman exits the car, baby in hand. A struggle ensues and the baby is thrown off the bridge, followed by Gordon. However, Bruce is well ahead of the game. He's already arrived and he's dived after the baby, saving it. Gordon, having lost his glasses in the struggle with the hitman, thanks Bruce, whom he claims he doesn't recognise because he hasn't got his glasses on and he makes it clear that he won't turn him in. The story ends with the new Captain Gordon waiting on the rooftop of the police department for Batman, waiting to discuss a new villain called the Joker. Well, if a guy dresses up like a bat, clearly has issues. Now, I felt the best bits of this book were a couple of great images and scenes. Firstly, uh, the best one I thought was where Bruce had returned to his mansion after a failed attempt to start his crime-fighting career. He knows what he wants to do, but doesn't know how to do it yet. He wants to bring justice to Gotham, but he hasn't quite figured out what the best way to do that is. Suddenly a bat crashes through his window, and it perches on the sculpture of his father. Bruce sees it as a sign, and he becomes the Batman as a result. Another really good um, image was where uh, there was an image which conveys the really tough life and decisions that Gordon's been going through. He's sitting on the end of his bed with his pregnant wife asleep and he's holding a gun. I thought it really portrayed the gritty realism so well that Frank Miller has been going for in this book. And the book is full of iconic images like those, which really make it an instant classic in my eyes. 
another good bit is uh, where Batman crashes a party full of decadent wealthy citizens of Gotham. He blows a hole in the wall, and it's one of the first times we see him in his outfit. Another iconic image. He lays the ground rules out, and says just because you're rich, doesn't mean you're safe from the Batman's form of tough justice. Another little great bit was the fact that we get to see a few characters who we'll be seeing a lot more of in the future, like Selina Kyle, who's, um, who's a hooker that Bruce Wayne encounters. We also see that she's inspired to become a cat burglar, or cat woman, if you will, after seeing Batman in action, giving us a bit of background on her. And we also see a few other characters like Detective Flash, Commissioner Loeb, Harvey Dent and Carmine Falcone, who will all be making appearances in upcoming books. Now the reaction to Year One from both critics and fans was hugely popular, many claiming it to be one of the best comics of all time, not just Batman comics. Year Two and Year Three followed on from the Year One series, and we'll review those at a later date. The style of the book is exactly what Frank Miller was going for with his Sin City style depiction. Realistic, gritty, it captures the humanity of the characters very well, and it changed Batman's style. Before this book it was very corny and had the Adam West 60s style, which I do love in its own way, but this was a complete departure from that from the books before it, and a refreshing outlook on the Dark Knight. So now we have a tough, intense, realistic style Batman, which I think everyone prefers. What I think is the best way to describe this book is that Batman no longer seems to be a superhero, but just a hero. I enjoyed that Gordon got fleshed out a lot as a character. He isn't always used to his full potential. There's as much of Gordon as Bruce Wayne in this book, and considering it's about Batman, I think that shows how important the character Frank Miller felt Gordon was. It's great to see more of him and show us that not only is Bruce Wayne going through a tough time, Gordon's having it just as bad as well. The artwork is very simple, realistic, it's not over the top, and as a result of its subtlety, the reader's attention stays focused on the story. The dialogue within the book is menacing and intense, yet it also keeps the setting genuine and the reader can connect with the characters. Year One, interestingly, was planned to be made into a film during 2000 in an attempt to restart the franchise after the dreadful Batman and Robin film. Warner Brothers avoided Joel Schumacher for a good few years and spoke to Darren Aronofsky about working on Batman Year One. Aronofsky agreed, uh, and he even commissioned Frank Miller to co-write the script with him. I thought it was very commendable of Warner Brothers and Aronofsky to involve Frank Miller. Getting the, crea getting the creator of the product involved could only help the film. However, sadly, Warner Brothers cancelled the film during their confusion on what the next step to take was. They moved on to a possible Batman Beyond film and a Batman vs Superman film. But of course, none of that happened, and Batman Begins was released in 2005. Now, Batman Begins, you might have noticed, has had, has a lot of links with Batman Year One. Christopher Nolan obviously read Batman Year One and decided to pluck a few ideas out of the book. These include the Bat inspiring Bruce, 
the Bat Swarm at Arkham Asylum, which I thought was done very well, and uh, Gordon presenting the Joker cards to Batman at the end of the film. Now, all in all, Batman Year One really showed the man on his mission. I'll give it 5 out of 5 Batarangs. And it's a great start for our list, and a must-read for every Batman fan. Even if you only have a modest interest in Batman and the comics, read it, because it's a great portrayal of how it all began. I can't say if it's the best Batman book out there, as I haven't read enough, but we'll find out as we go through the list. However, quite a few people believe it to be the best. So is it only downhill from now on? Of course not, there's plenty of other good Batman books out there. But this is a great benchmark to compare the others with. So that was Batman Year One. Please give me some feedback on the forums. Did you like it? If you didn't like it, I would love to know why, because I personally couldn't find any problems with the book myself, so I'd love to hear any criticisms. Plus, did you like this segment? What more do you want? Do you want more of the story? More of the review? Do please just let me know, as this is a work in progress. So next time on Batman Books for Beginners, we've got Batman's first confrontation with his greatest enemy, the Joker, in The Man Who Laughs. So go get it now. So until next time, this is Nick, signing off from Batman Books for Beginners on the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Bye, and have a good Christmas. Jingle bells, Batman smelt, Robin laid an egg. The Batmobile lost the wheel, and the Joker got away. Alright everybody, we're back. Thanks Nick, and make sure to pick up Batman the Man Who Laughs for the next episode. That's the one he'll be covering next time, as he's talked about. So on upcoming releases, we've only got a couple issues coming out the next couple weeks, mostly because of the holidays, but we do have some Batman comics, so you can go out on Christmas Eve. I'm sure comic book shops will be open because it's a Wednesday, and pick up Batman number 683 and Batman Gotham After Midnight number 8 of 12. And then New Year's Eve, we've got Batman number 684, and then Batman Cacophony number 2 of 3, and Superman and Batman vs. Vampires and Werewolves. Number six of six. So the end of this series will finally come. Yes. <laughs> and Apple could rest easy. Yeah. <laughs> Hoping for the best. Alright, so that brings us to what we're going to cover next time on the podcast. In two weeks, we will be covering Superman and Batman vs. Vampires and Worlds number four, Birds of Prey 124. Batman Gotham After Midnight number 7, Batman number 681, and Batman number 682. Now, I know a lot of people on the forums have been rather upset that we haven't been talking about Batman R.I.P., mostly because we cover comics a month past, so that will be the next podcast to tune into. Not a ton of comics to talk about, so we'll have plenty of time to talk about Batman 681 and Batman 682, and more of the conclusion of Batman R.I.P. So as always, we'll see you guys next time in two weeks. You've been listening to Batman Universe Comic Podcast. This is Dustin. This is Apple. And this is Josh. And we'll see you guys next time.